Science communication is a big part of our lives, from the TV shows with Carl Sagan that we used to watch growing up, all the way to Neil deGrasse Tyson, the headlines that you read in the newspaper, and even some of the facts on the back of a cereal box that you eat in the morning. Some people know a lot of things, and knowing things is very important, but knowing how to talk about things is a little bit harder. My name is Louis Colabertolo. I'm a PhD student at the University of Guelph trying my absolute best, like seriously, to get a PhD in food science. Along the way, in order to procrastinate, I talk to people in different graduate programs and in their fields about what science they're doing and why it matters. And today I'm going to talk about talking with some good science talkers. Today's chat is going to be with Katie and Vinny. They are the hosts of their very own scientific communication podcast called the Learn Real Good Podcast, where they do something very similar to what I'm doing here. So instead of talking about science, we're going to talk about talking about science on this episode of We Know Some Stuff. All right, so we are talking with uh, Katie and Vinny today, who are the hosts of the Learn Real Good podcast. How are we two doing today? Great. Thanks so much for having yeah. us, Lewis. We're excited to be here. We want to talk oh, we, science. We are going to talk. <laughs> if there's something that we are going to be doing, we are going to be talking. <laughs> Perfect. So you two, Katie and Vinny, yeah. host a podcast called true. the Learn Real Good Podcast. All true. I host a podcast called <laughs> We Know Some Stuff. <laughs> so why in the world is We Know Some Stuff featuring Learn Real Good Podcast? <laughs> well, we sort of, we found each other serendipitously yeah. a while ago and we realized, wow, we have podcasts very similarly named and we both have very similar aims with our shows and that is communicating science, making science more digestible and entertaining yeah. so that everyone can access it. Yeah, it doesn't have to be boring lectures. Yeah. It can be fun to learn. <laughs> by talking like that. Yeah. Yeah, by talking like that. And I always <laughs> imagine sort of like a clown on a unicycle. Like, fun to learn. <laughs> the periodic no, table. It's not far off. It's not far off. <laughs> it's not far. I mean, every day, more and more, I do look more like a clown. And then I signed up for grad school. <laughs> Well, perfect for broadcasting audio. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I got a face for radio over here. So speaking of my beautiful face, uh, that was actually a segue that had nothing to go to it. Um, I could do better with a different segue. Um, all right. So you guys, you find people and you talk to them yeah. about science. Why Why mm -hmm. do you yeah. want to do this? We, we like talking to people. One, we're both just we like getting to know like what are, what people are into or what they're interested in. We both have a science background. We both have, uh, Katie has a PhD in biology. I have my master's in physics. So it's a field that we both are passionate about. And then it, we just want to learn more and get to give these people a platform. Basically let grad students share what they're doing, share their passion, share their experience, share their research, and make it uh, fun and accessible for people to also share in it. I think another aim especially is to have a resource for up-and-coming scientists as well to understand what does it mean to be a scientist. Because I, I teach college-level science students, and they come in being like, I'm going to be a doctor, and that's great. We need doctors. But a lot of the reason why they want to be doctors is because they don't know what right. other possibilities there are in STEM. And so I love having a show where we show like what what being a grad student is, what careers in STEM look like, what does it look like 
to be spending a day in the sciences. And um, what are the perks and what are the pitfalls and mm -hmm. what is it like on a daily life uh, of being a grad student? Mm -hmm. that's, all, that's all interesting to us. Totally. You know, sometimes I wonder if a lot of people don't have a good clue of what it is like to be a scientist is because we don't have any 30-minute sitcoms about being scientists. 100%. Yeah, exactly. Except for Big Bang Theory, I guess. <laughs> but you're right. There's a dearth of media that show this career path, even a fake version. Like, I'm sure uh, I'm going to date myself here, but the practice wasn't accurate for what it's like to be a lawyer. Right. But at least it gave you it put it in people's minds, like what this life would look like, even Absolutely. if it was a bit of a artifice of the real thing. Yeah, but like, I'm here for the artifice. <laughs> it's better than nothing. <laughs> yeah, we need a soap opera based oh, on grad school. I would watch Lots that. Of intrigue, sleeping around. Oh, yes. Power plays. Yeah. Scooping papers. Oh no. <gasps> Dating professors. Oh, yeah. oh gross. Let's no, do no, that. no, no, no. Don't do it. Don't yeah. do it. Uh, but I also yeah. imagine just a scandalo constantly just saying a scandalo. Well, there was a TV show starring Stan Sandra Oh we saw on the Netflix called like The Chair or something. Oh yeah, that was in an English department. Yeah. Yeah. Why can't why couldn't it have been the biochemistry department? She could have One used day. all of her knowledge from Grey's Anatomy. From Grey's Anatomy, yeah. Exactly. She was primed for that. I guess she wanted to jump to another department. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I could imagine why she was thinking that. Wanted to get out of the STEM field. Cannot blame her. <laughs> Relatable. Relatable. So, but like, really, if you're if you're in, coming from high school, you how would you know what it's like to be yeah, a researcher? You don't know what your options are. No. no, not at all. Don't you think it's a little silly that when we're like 18, 19 mm. years old, we're said, hey, choose a career for the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah. And here's no options. <laughs> <laughs> and it's expensive. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it's it's such a privilege to even be at a place where you know what this looks like, right? How many people know anyone who has a grad level degree, right? It's really the minority and you end up having a strong correlation between people whose parents had PhDs and the likelihood of them yep. being able to know how to get down that How path. to navigate yeah. it. It's so tricky and so uh, opaque. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, it's uh, compounded by so many different societal factors. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I look at a lot of people. I When I was in undergraduate, I just, you know, had a part-time job at a grocery store. And I had no mm -hmm. idea that I should have been doing internships. I had no mm -hmm. idea. I just right. was like, I, I got to make money. So I worked at a grocery store, whereas a lot of other people were poised. It was like, all right, so this year I'm doing this internship. Yep. Next year I'm going to do research. Right. And yeah, they, oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and I was going to say that, you know, I came from a family where my dad is a dentist. So, you know, even <laughs> within these wow. systems where I have a very high educated parent, uh, you know, I, it's still a field I didn't know how to navigate. Yeah, it's not obvious and nothing's advertised. I had, I had a very similar experience. So both of my parents um, finished high school and I have siblings who did undergrad degrees, but no one who did like a post-grad degree. And I remember being at the end of first year and all of my roommates were like, oh yeah, I just applied for NSERC, which is like a science funding agency. And they all applied for these summer awards. I'm like, what? how did you know? How mm -hmm. did you know this was a thing that existed? I'd never heard of NSERC. I never saw a poster for it and the deadline had passed. And that was like one of four years you can apply for this thing. It's like, how how is anyone supposed to know these things yeah. unless you know someone to tell you that? You need to be guided through mm -hmm. so many steps, so many unwritten rules of academia, mm -hmm. science academia, that you, 
you don't know until almost after you're done. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's sort of a self-selective group of people, academia. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes it's like this little club that's awfully difficult to get into. Mm-hmm. And well, that's part of the reason we make this podcast mm-hmm. is to make it slightly more transparent of like, all right, you want, you're interested in biology? Well, what are your options as careers? Mm-hmm. What is the path to go through that? What does that look like? Uh, you know, what what does writing a thesis entail? What mm-hmm. do field work look like? All of these things, you don't know unless you have a resource to, to talk, someone to talk to. And even then, you're like, I need to talk to someone. Who is that person? Yeah. Can you just reach out to anybody? It's, it's hard to say if you don't know how to navigate. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, it's interesting because, so I teach um, in something called SAGEP, which is like the in-between high school and university here in Quebec, our unique education system. And I'm just new on this course where basically students are doing an independent project. It's like a, a mini, mini honored thesis project. But also as part of that, we have like a, a course component where we teach them these skills. We teach them how do you approach a professor? How do you like a, a bit of these behind the scenes things that no one ever would would teach them otherwise. So they get a bit of a hopefully a head start into this uh, opaque path. That's a super interesting thing. I've never heard of this kind of thing being taught before. Yeah, Quebec, we're, we're different in some good ways and some <laughs> not so good ways. But I think this is our sage up system, I think, is somewhere where we, we really uh, have done something. Yeah, it's good. a pretty great is system. Is that a French word or an acronym? I honestly couldn't. It's an acronym. <laughs> it is an is acronym. it a French it's an acronym. acronym? It is yes. a French. The English version is GATE, G-A-T-E. Uh, I didn't know that. Nobody uses it, including the English. Oh, wow. I don't even know what the letters stand for. I don't know what any of them stand for. It's the first letters college. Probably. Probably an education somewhere yep. in there. <laughs> the G throws me off. So. It's C-E-G. Garage. Garage. Uh, uh, gnarly. Uh, equestrian. Probably gnarly. Gnarly, yeah. College, <laughs> education, gnarly, <laughs> école, pour. There you go. Yeah, I didn't catch any of that. Uh, it's monolinguist <laughs> over here for everyone. Who's listening. Uh, so... You work in sort of an academia field-ish, Katie. Would you say it's an ish academia field, or would you say you're hardcore academia? Uh, I'd say ish. So it's it's a very interesting system where it's like a two-year program for people who are pre-college, for pre-university, rather. And it's basically like the last year of high school and the first year of university. So it I would describe it as being like the level of early undergrad in terms of difficulty, but your classes are small. And so instead of being thrown from a high school into a giant university with a thousand people in a class and a professor you never see, you have this mini step where you're challenged with the material and a lot more independence, but you're in a class with 30 to 40 people, your teacher knows your name, and there's a lot more sort of support so you can focus on the material and not so much the major life change. And it's really easy to kind of bounce mm-hmm. between programs. If you're like, I'm going to do this. I'm in this. I love science. And you get there and you're like, wait, I hate science. You haven't suddenly spent like thousands of dollars and books and tuition and apartments and food. You're just like, all right, I'm just going to try it out. And you're like, nope, not for me. You just switch over to something else. And it, the, the cost of figuring out your ideas mm-hmm. and where you want to be and who you are at that age, it feels like a good step to do it. I kind of wish I did that. 
I know, me too. Yeah. I'm from Ontario too. So <laughs> I'm like, this is so much better, this system. And then when, if you do undergrad here, it's three years. Oh, uh, well, okay. So like you're, you're, yeah, it all Yeah, it so all we take off grade up. 12 yeah. and the first year of university <laughs> and made this whole other system for two years. Hey, that's not bad. And it's not just pre-universities of this trade yeah. programs. You can do uh, nursing, you can do graphic design, car mechanic, plumbing, electrical, all of that. It's all through the CJEP system. So when you, you know, you, you, meet these people, these students as they come in, do you find that people tend to start thinking they want to do science and then leaving it? Or do you find people becoming interested when they never thought they would be? It's a lot more of the former. It's a lot more students like I always liked science, my or I always wanted to be a doctor, or you do get the occasional my parents <laughs> <laughs> made me do this or I'm doing sciences because I'll for sure have a good career, which I'm always like, eh, that's a very tricky, dangerous message. I know it's the one I was fed when I was a kid as well. That you know, it's the scientists, that's where the millions are, kids. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, a lot of people who enter it tend to tend to stick in it, and it tends to be very competitive. I think that partly makes people stay because they know it's hard to get back into if you leave it. A lot of people want to do sciences. Okay, so do you do you find a lot of people who kind of start and they're like, oh, well, I did good in science in high school and I really like dirt. Mm. Uh, and they kind of just like take <laughs> it from there. Mostly it's because they like dirt. Um, yeah, well, it's interesting because the other weird thing, Lewis, is that our high school system, um, you don't learn biology for many years here. So for people who are interested in the life sciences, I think the last time you see it is sec three. Uh, so this is the third year of high school. So the fourth and fifth year of high school are pretty much devoid of the life sciences. And so you get lots of students who are more biology bent, which is my area. And they're so excited to finally be learning again because it had been years. Um, or you'll have students who didn't even know they'd be interested in it. And suddenly they're like, oh, you know, it's, I have learned so little life sciences that now suddenly that I'm learning it in college, I actually like it. So you do get people either migrating in or migrating out of the life sciences versus the physical sciences. Yeah, they tend to have a very sort of vague idea of what they may or may not be interested in. And then hopefully a, hopefully a course strikes an interest with them. But then that's a lot of pressure on us to... We're the salespeople, you know, this might be the only right. opportunity for us to sell biology or physics or whatever to them. <laughs> There's a lot of onus on us to make it not uh, a horrible experience. <laughs> so, Vinny, do you think that you could give me a sales pitch for physics? Why I should go into physics? <laughs> <laughs> Look, any of these fields, you got to love it. You can't, nobody, I don't know if you go into a field all the way through grad school and be kind of like, I don't know. Like, nobody's going to put themselves through that <laughs> if they're not at least halfway sure that they're going to, like, I'm going to stick through this. And I went as far as I was interested in going, which was a master's degree. And I, I, for me, I loved it. I love physics. I love learning how the universe works. I love how you learn the math that is the language of the universe that describes how the planets move and atoms bond and why the sun is hot and all of that stuff is just <laughs> fascinating to me. And so for me, it was like a, just a, a huge amount of curiosity about the world around me and learning how to speak its language and learning how, how, how it works and being able to just be like, okay, well, I get it. I know, you know, I know why the moon is the way it is. I know what an eclipse is. I know how a car works. I know, you know, all of this stuff. Like I know when I look up at the nighttime sky, I know what all that stuff is and why it is the way it is. And that 
just feels great to, mm. to be able to, to, to have that information. So for me, physics is, was all about understanding the world around me. And then, you know, people continue on with it and learn to apply it or dig deeper. That was never my thing. <laughs> yeah, I think we both learned along the way that our, our strengths are more in learning stuff conveying it to other yes. people like we we learn it we can play it, we we can give it to other people in a more easily accessible understandable way uh and spin it into a story because of our storytelling backgrounds as yeah. well and we both get really excited when we can get other people excited about the stuff that we've learned because the stuff that i love i get really excited yes. about and i love sharing <laughs> people someone asked me science questions like katie likes to ask me a science mm -hmm. question every so often <laughs> and i love to answer it and if i have a biology question mm -hmm. for katie i love hearing her tell me about it so you talk about having storytelling backgrounds. You like telling stories. Mm. You like talking. You like making things digestible. Why do you feel that those qualities set you apart from mm. other people in science? Mm -hmm. Great question. Yeah. Do you want to start, Story Man? Well, it began many years ago. <laughs> That's a great start. <laughs> <laughs> no, I look. Stories are so human. Like babies from the very beginning one of the first skills that they learn is recognizing what a face is <laughs> like those neurons are so deeply encoded like look for the eyes find a mouth hole all right that's a face <laughs> that's probably a mommy or a daddy or whoever <laughs> and, and so as soon as you like wire that up it's deep like we now as an adult most people can find a face in anything like oh this piece of wood look at these two dots and a mouth shape hey that's a face in this piece of wood in this grilled cheese, I was gonna in this say fish that cheese. I caught. Yeah, where I was gonna say we grilled can, cheese. We can find a face anywhere because it's so deeply ingrained. Well, stories are the same way for us as humans. Mm. We love stories. We love imposing narrative where none mm -hmm. may exist. Like uh, in sports, this happens all the time. This yeah. team has a villain, and our mm -hmm. team has a hero, and this player never lives up to their expectation and they disappoint us and it's like no they're just playing a sport and the ball bounces randomly and they have some control and there is like people who get good at it but we we love narrative we mm -hmm. love having a, a hero we love having a villain we love having a beginning and a middle and an end and an obstacle and a solution a victory and a defeat all of those elements are so engaging to people that if you can shape science mm -hmm. into those terms you just level up your communication abilities a thousandfold in addition to that you make things easier like i try to think from a teacher's point of view i try to sell my students in learning the stories of things versus just memorizing all the disparate words right because you can therefore retain a lot more information with a lot less effort for example if i had to memorize the script of titanic the three and a half hour film that would require a lot of effort right but if my goal was to convey the rough story points of Titanic, I wouldn't have to memorize the script. If I remembered, you know, uh, these two people, she tried, spoiler alerts coming for anyone who hasn't seen Titanic. Yeah. She tries to jump off, he saves her, they smooch, iceberg, one dies, right? I didn't need to memorize the whole thing to remember those plot points. So it's the same as true of a student's learning like cellular respiration. I try to teach it in a way that it's like, these, this series of events happen because of the thing that happened before it. It is a plot. It is a story. It's connected. And one of the things about stories is that there's causation. Yeah. And so one thing causes another. Uh, and at the beginning of the story, you set it up. 
and then something happens, mm. and because of that, something mm -hmm. else happens, and because of that, something else happens. But that's the story of science as well. Every chemical process, every uh, astro astronomical process, all of these things, there's cause and effect, mm -hmm. and stories are all the best stories have that cause and effect. Otherwise, it just feels like random noise. Mm -hmm. So why do you think that scientists have the reputation for being terrible <laughs> communicators? Because if science is this good of a story, why are scientists like the worst people to tell this story? Right. I think part of the problem is we don't, we don't reward those traits uh, for most of a scientist's Correct. life, right? If you think about... When you're an undergrad, the reward, reward, awards you get are usually based on grades. Maybe if it's a more progressive award, they'll take into account your extracurriculars. But I can speak as someone who has always been involved in the arts throughout my life with radio shows and podcasts and theater and comedy. I was always teased by my mentors for wasting my time mm -hmm. doing these artsy, creative things. But um, I will say on the rare occasions, some of the bigger awards I got were because I did these other things. But that's the minority. Most people just care about the publications you have. And that does not reward no. storytelling skills or outreach. We don't we don't value that. For your professional success is predicated on just not being wrong. That's pretty mm -hmm. much the only skill you need. <laughs> just don't do anything where you're not going to be wrong. Do things where you're like, I'm going to be successful at this. I'm going to produce a result. It's going to be have a material gain. And then, boom, I move up to the next step on the ladder. And the machine of academia is really good at that, of like mm. moving people along who are good at systems, who are good at knowing things, knowing how to apply them. And I will say there the people who are pushing things forward are the people who can synthesize information to create new information. And then that just gets added to the pile and you move forward down the chain. And so there is a necessary, like good, a good scientist is a good creator, is capable of taking a bunch of facts, a bunch of information, and then synthesizing it into a conclusion. That's the whole scientific process. And there is storytelling in that, even if it's not necessarily mm -hmm. recognized as such. And, it's not it's like if you read us any scientific paper, it's not really presented mm. as a story. It's like, here's this step. Here's this step. It's it's presented like a recipe. Like, here's your ingredients. Well, there are step. introductions and discussions. Yeah. But how many awards are given for like greatest introduction to a paper, right? Like, no. like that clarity of, of thought and that capacity for communication is very rarely rewarded. And then the academic part, once you achieve this kind of like, tenured professorship, the teaching part is often seen as a pain in the butt for the researcher. I think in both the way we present at conferences, which is a, a big way we communicate our work, and through our written reports, we're, we've sort of had personality beaten out of us. Yes. Every scientific paper you can read since the 70s sounds like it's been written by the same boring person who hates what they're doing. And the same is true for scientific talks for the vast majority. There's a lot of pressure on people to be quote-unquote professional and what comes with being quote-unquote professional as a scientist is being objective and therefore having no human aspect right because humans are not objective so you have to sort of mute who yeah. you are and with that comes all personality and individuality and that it just renders everything we do sounding soulless and impersonable <laughs> yeah any take any scientific paper published and since the dawn of time, they're borderline unreadable to anyone outside of that field. They're just, it's so dense. It's so technical. It's, it's technically correct, 
right? And that's the that's the the, the prime mm-hmm. directive, but it's not approachable. It's not human. It's not digestible to someone, and that's not the target audience. The general public is generally not the target audience for science. I think we can all agree if we find reading these things boring. I would love a paper to yeah. be more human, but it's it's how how does the you know, majority change their opinion of these things. I don't know. And I think you can just look through the history of science communicators and see how celebrated they are and how thirsty people are for learning about the world around them. Like what's that, Feynman? Yeah, Richard Feynman, (laughs) Carl Sagan, Mm -hmm. Richard Attenborough, like just all of these people who have the capacity to bring a humanity. Let's get some women here. Yes, yes, yes. People who have that capacity to communicate science in a human way that like, oh, I get that. That's really powerful. You know, I, I wonder sometimes these papers, these scientific papers, a lot of people throw around the word, oh, journal papers and things like mm-hmm. this. They they take a very, very, very long time to write. You have to perform a lot of experiments to do them. Mm-hmm. And then they're written in such a difficult to understand <laughs> language yeah. that I feel as if it's the field uh, that's trying to gatekeep other people from accessing it. Mm. You know, I to some extent, and it's yeah. it's awful. I'm I'm not a fan of that because a lot of people are just terrified of being wrong. As you said, you have mm-hmm. to be right, and you know, using an adjective like I've gotten called out for using like uh, that's an adjective we don't use in this field. I'm like, are, <laughs> it was it was there a list? Could you give me a list of adjectives that we do use? <laughs> So it it is difficult from that perspective. You know, and everyone, I think, has talents when it comes to doing things in science. Some people are really Mm -hmm. great at writing, which I hate writing. Oh, my Mm. God, I hate writing. (laughs) I will do absolutely everything and anything to avoid writing, including hosting a podcast. <laughs> Success. So, you know, I I find myself saying like, "Oh, well, I like this part and this part, but I also yeah. really don't like this part." Sure. So, when it comes to communication, that's something I really enjoy about science. Mm-hmm. And you don't find too many people that are that into it. Mhm. Yeah, it's almost as though we should break the job down. I feel that way about like professor jobs as well. I think it's ridiculous that most professors have to be, you know, have to do research and teaching. And those are very different skill sets. And it's very rare to be excellent at both. And you get lots of people who are there mostly for the research and hate the teaching, think it's a waste of their time. And the occasional person who loves the teaching, but maybe isn't great at research, although you're they're usually kept out of becoming a professor. (laughs) But you know, these are very different skill sets. Why? What is the value of making people do all of it? Yeah, there's no excellence to be gathered from having a teacher who is not good at teaching at your institution. But by the same token, what's the value of having the same person be the writer as the communicator? They're right. different skills and it doesn't have to be the same person. Like I think these jo- these are all very different jobs that should just be split up. And I think <laughs> I think there's something to be said for an undergrad experience where you're like, "All right, I'm going to learn in a lecture." There's lots of great learning that happens in the lecture hall and then a lot of great learning that happens in the lab. But the labs aren't run by the researchers necessarily and the and the teaching isn't aren't always done by the teachers and i think those should be very separate things i i will admit you know here and now a lot of the greatest scientific things i've learned have not taken place in academia at all Mm. Mm -hmm. you know i i loved watching carl sagan growing up on you know Mm. public broadcasting Mm -hmm. 
And I just remember thinking like, this is the coolest stuff ever. And, you know, you don't have to necessarily go to a formal institution to learn these things. Absolutely. So I think by, you know, communicating our science and the science of other people, we are really spreading this message that, hey, anyone can learn. You don't have to be a scientist to like science. But this applies to so many fields, right? People say, I can't draw, right? And what does that mean? Well, you can draw. And if you like the process of drawing, draw. You don't have to be good at it to enjoy the process of drawing. You don't have to be an NBA player to enjoy a game of basketball with your friends. And so sometimes the same thing with science. Like people can be interested in science, but as soon as they go through the school system and, like, and it tells you you are not good at science, well, then who who in their right mind would like learning about science? Like, I don't, you become someone who's like, I don't like science. And we tend to equate, like, I am not good at something, therefore I don't like it. And it's really easy to pick up that attitude in any field, whether it's like, oh, I don't draw, I don't like it because I'm not good at it. Oh, I don't like science because I'm not good at it. I don't like uh, soccer because I'm not good at it. But you can enjoy a process without being good at it. And you can be fascinated by the world around you without having to be, like, be able to teach a class on it. Just be curious. But also there's those gatekeepers out there. Like I think we we, right. we all can remember a course from undergrad that was sort of infamous where there's a teacher who's quote unquote really hard and they're sort of proud of the fact that no one yes. ever passes this course, Yeah. right? Making it seem as though this is a hard subject for everyone to learn. But the reality is if you dissect it, it's probably this is a person who's terrible at teaching yes. and or what they're teaching is not connected to the way they're assessing. And by doing that, they're alienating a lot of people. Whereas yeah. if you had someone who could just remove some of the language or break it down in a more tangible way, I'm sure you could make it accessible and learnable to everyone. Nothing yeah. nothing is too hard for anyone, really. It, it's, it's like having a class called Beating with Sticks. And it's like, all right, if you can get through the Beating with Sticks class, you're ready to continue your education it's like why why make everyone go through the beating with sticks class just let you enjoy the field and like learn it and teach it without having it to be an arduous mm -hmm. it's like well if you can't survive this you'll never survive like what why do we need to make it a survival game <laughs> like this isn't a you know a, a do or die it's it's research and science it should be engaging uh, and and feed you in some way you know i love this concept of like you know if you don't have to be good at it to like it and mm -hmm. the fact that if something's hard it might not actually be something that you do like uh, you know and mm -hmm. this comes into my life a lot oftentimes people will say like oh oh oh, have you read this are you reading any bo good books lately and i just out flatly will always say oh i'm illiterate but you know <laughs> like i have i have multiple degrees clearly i can read um, last time I checked, uh, but I don't like it. I do not enjoy no. reading. Ooh, is, do you think that's because of grad school? Has it has reading papers made you dead inside for reading things for joy? I, I mean, among other things that have made me dead on the inside, I'd put it on the <laughs> list. Were you always like that, like as a kid? You know, I I think I read books in high school. You know what I did? Oh my goodness, are we coming to it a realization right now? <laughs> yeah i feel very similar i read 
tons yep. all through high school and I really haven't recovered. I feel like still, I just, I just got the notification that today actually is my seven year anniversary of finishing my PhD. I still can't read. <laughs> I can read physically. <laughs> I choose not to read because I'm still sort of mentally scarred. I feel of being forced to read so much dry material I didn't enjoy. <laughs> yeah. That, that's fascinating. And, and it's comforting to hear kind of as well, because on my end, it's like, it is something I used to enjoy, but I don't want to do it anymore. No, yeah. no, the joy. You went through the beating with sticks class. Of <laughs> and I was like, yeah, beat me harder. Like, <laughs> yes, yeah, sir. Can I have another? And that's when I signed up for the PhD. Yeah, <laughs> that's what happens. So if we as science communicators want to say one thing, mm. like let's wrap it all up. Beautiful little bow on the end of the episode. What would you each of you, and we'll, we'll, we'll take turns. We can be civil about this. What would <laughs> each of you say, as a science communicator, is the thing that you want people to know? Let's, I, I feel, let's go Katie first. Okay. Science isn't just for scientists. I think, I think we've seen with the COVID pandemic that is ongoing, the importance of communicating what we know, what we don't know, what these things mean. For our health and our survival, it's not just about for the people who are doing the research. Everyone needs to know these things. It's basic scientific literacy. And I feel like it, even if you're not a great science communicator, if you're a scientist, it's part of the job. Whether you want it to be or not, you're not alone in a lab. Part of our job as science ambassadors mm -hmm. is to make these important lessons of the things we're spending all this government money <laughs> learning about accessible to the people who are paying the taxes and allowing this research to happen. It's part of our job and our role as scientists to make these things tangible and interesting and entertaining. That's part of it. I love that. And I, I just think about someone being like, my tax dollars are going towards this boring story about mouse genetics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just got to make it more interesting. <laughs> exactly. Like, if I'm going to fund research, I want cool research. I want, yeah. I want the sexy research. <laughs> Give me dinosaur hybrids. Ooh, I love that. <laughs> All right, Vinny, what, um, we what, is, what is your take-home message? Yeah. What is your moral of the story? If this was, mm -hmm. if we were in an after-school special, mm -hmm. what would the moral <laughs> of your story be? When does the bill become a law? <laughs> <laughs> Making science accessible for people who understand it to people who don't understand it is a skill. And it's a specific skill that I think you owe it to yourself. Just even to be, if you can explain it to your family members, what you do and mm. get them to kind of like wrap their head around it. You're half, you're halfway there and you can explain it to, to someone else. And it's, and for me, and this is, I think, the key is that as a scientist, I don't know that you truly understand something until you can explain it to somebody. Mm. If so, if you can explain it to someone who doesn't know anything about it in a, in terms that they can grasp, then you really got a good understanding of it. And if you can't explain it without a bunch of jargon or technical mm -hmm. stuff, like then it just becomes you you you've painted yourself into a corner where you can only speak to people who speak your language. And that's not what humans should be doing. Mm -hmm. We shouldn't only be speaking to the people in our own little corner. As Katie said, like we have a societal responsibility to, to, to get people to just understand the basics, to increase 
that scientific literacy, even if it's by like 0.01%, then that's a, a step in the right direction. Because so much of our world is uh, based on the realities of, of, of science, of, of like the objective kind of not truths, but understandings that we have mm-hmm. of, of how the world works. What, how can we uh, critically evaluate what's being fed to us if we don't mm-hmm. have the tools to evaluate them? And so I think just as a having a, a functional societal populace for having a functional human system, whatever system it may be, we need to be able to speak a common language, agree on some basic common facts, and then be able to draw conclude. Like there's not going to be a perfect solution to this, but be able to draw some you know workable solution based on the world that we actually live in and not necessarily the world we want to be living in because that's that doesn't work very good it's just not going to get you very far so science being able to teach those critical thinking skills Mm -hmm. those critical um fact finding and evaluating skills i think it's key and now more than ever use a terrible cliche but it's a cliche for a reason absolutely you know i imagine you were you know looking directly into the camera and like saying it with a stern <laughs> but like warm face i had a, I had a single tear in my yeah. eye drooling down my then cheek a, a star shoots across the screen yeah. the more the you more know. we know <laughs> exactly we need critical thinking now more than ever <laughs> it has been an absolute pleasure uh, talking with you too. If anyone is interested, which you should all be interested, you should definitely check out the Learn Real Good podcast available on all of your favorite streaming sites. I'm assuming. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> I just took a jump there, but I assume it. <laughs> You're correct on uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Just check out Learn Real Good. We'll be there. Or you can find us on social media at LRG Pod. Oh, yeah. That sounds like the end of an NPR show. I think we should just stop. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Okay. Well, then that's it. Episode's over. Thank you. Hooray. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I am tired of talking about talking. So that is going to conclude this episode of We Know Some Stuff.